when I'm able to be creative, I come alive. It's like something happens in me where I feel both energy and rest at the same time. But there's a type of creativity that will back me up into a corner and make me like a scared dog. And that is when I have to dance. And whenever we go to weddings, my wife Elise always wants to get me out on the dance floor. And I am over there like the scared dog saying, no, I'm really bad at this. I do not want to go. But somehow she drags me out there. And then she begins to laugh at me as I make this effort to dance. And it's not that I don't want to. I mean, it looks like a lot of fun. Um, The a couple months ago, Elise was at her discipleship group, and I had the kiddos, and I put um, something on TV for them to watch, and I, there's this video that pops up on my, my Facebook feed. It's a TikTok video of someone teaching you how to dance, and so they're watching this, these, this movie, and I'm in the corner of the room trying to learn how to dance by watching this video, and I will not demonstrate for you how it went, but when I see people dancing really well... I can't stop watching because, especially with their, if they're a quick, fast dance, because it looks like everything that they're feeling is being expressed in that moment. And what I think is even cooler is when a whole group of people are dancing in unison and everything that they feel is being expressed all together as one. And that is actually a picture of what I think God wants the church to be. This collective group of people that are dancing in unison and from a deep joy that has been put in them from what God has done for them, they can't help but dance and express themselves completely together as one in unison. That's what I'd like to propose today. That's what the church is, is a bunch of dancers as we're dancing this divine dance with God together as one. And there's a few things. So, so I'm going to be your dance teacher today and teach you how to dance in unison with each other. And before we dig in, a few things. So some of you are dancing spiritually, but you're dancing alone. You're looking out at the crowd and you're a little upset at the church. You're a little bit upset at somebody in the church. Uh, Maybe they've stepped on your toes in the dance, maybe they have tripped you up a bit, and in doing that, you don't want to be part of the dance, and so you dance your dance with God alone. Or, you haven't joined the dance because you have this pride in you that looks at all of those who are dancing, and you've seen how they lived their life. You understand and you know how they vote politically, and there's a bunch of reasons that you look at them and you say, there's no way I could dance with that person. And God wants you to come and join the dance. And some of you haven't joined the dance at all. You've been tapping your feet, flirting with Christianity. And two, God, you too, God wants you to come in and finally join the dance. And today's an important message because if you talk to pastors today, they will say that the churches that they lead have never been more divided. And when the church is divided, the music of the gospel is muffled. And that's a really bad thing. So we're in, a, in this series called Playlist, The Road Home, and we've been writing this, these songs through the series, and we've been singing these songs, and now I want us to start dancing these songs. And, and here's what happened. In this series, 
from Psalm 120 to 134, God is saying, here are the songs that I want you to sing as you take this long pilgrimage from your home to the city of God, Jerusalem, it's a city of peace, and then up to the top of Mount Zion, which is the Mount of Joy, and there worship God. So he sent you out on this journey. And along the way, you face these trials, you face these difficulties, you faced hardships, and, you, and along the way, you have gathered these new friends to go with you. And you've gone, and, and finally you've gone through the city gates, and now you're at the base of the mountain, and together last week, you and your friends walked up the mountain. And then when you got up at the top, you saw God, Christ, crowned as the King. And today, we're going to dance in celebration of what He's done in unity. So here we go, Psalm 133, a song of ascents of David. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore first point, a picture of unity. Now, when this psalm is speaking of this oil that is running down the beard of Aaron, Aaron is Moses' brother, the high priest, and it flows down his beard onto his clothing, and you would be tempted to think that the main point of Psalm 133 is that all men should have beards. But that is not the point. The point of this psalm is unity. Now, I want to tell you something. There is a difference between unity and conformity. Unity has to do with joy and passion. Conformity has to do with fear. Unity has to do with you being persuaded and then devoted by these values and beliefs. Conformity has to do with you just following the masses. Unity is alive and active. Conformity is robotic and dead. Hitler produced conformity. The Tower of Babel produced conformity. But Romans 12 says, I want you to be transformed. God speaking, I want you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which is worship. Conformity has to do with the world. The culture of the world sucking you into its ways. But unity at least Christian unity, is about being a bit of a maverick, a rebel. Someone who says, no, I am following a new way. I have this new song. I have this new dance that I'm going to dance in the ways of God. And then it says, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. So good means something is right. Pleasant means that it's enjoyable. So conformity is not good or pleasant. It might appear to be, but in, in fact, it is a trick. And eventually you're going to realize this conformity, you're just following the ways of something that is going to eventually suck the life right out of you. And, and look at this. Conformity promises something easy to you, but in the end never really delivers anything. Unity promises something very difficult, but in the end gives you something good, pleasant, and transformative. Now, here's the picture. 
It's a message, and it talks about oil and dew. So here's the, here's the deal with the oil. Oil is, about, is, oil is signifying a party. So before you go to a party, you put oil on yourself to make you smell nice. So, so Aaron, Moses' brother, is smelling really good. He's ready for the divine dance party. And along with that, it, this type of oil is meant only to be for the priests. And so the priest's job was to make sure that God's people were collectively united to him and following the ways of God. Now, I want to read something to you in the New Testament. From 1 Peter 2.9, it says, You are a holy nation and a royal priesthood. Meaning that the job of the priest, where they're supposed to seek unity among God's people, helping them dance this divine dance, now every single Christian has the job of helping unity happen among God's people. Which means if you see someone tripping up on the dance, you go and help them. You show them the better dance moves. You teach them to dance moves. It's like iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. We need each other far more than we realize. So that's the oil. And then the dew. Dew has to do with flourishing. So let me read to you the definition of dew. It is tiny drops of water that form on cool surfaces at night when atmospheric vapor condenses. In other words... It's something that's unseen from above and in your midst that brings about water on the earth and waters the earth. In the Bible, oftentimes you're going you're to hear about the life-giving nature of dew. It's said to bring so much flourishing, this dew, that it causes grain and wine to abound. In other words, dew is the cause of the good life. And, and he, here's what's Here's what's cool. So Mount Hermon, the mountain that it's speaking of here, it is the highest peaked mountain. And there on Mount Hermon, you will find lush greenery and flourishing, even during the summer months. Now, this is kind of impossible because it's really hot in this place during the summer months, and there's no rain in the summer, unlike Florida. So you've got this, this time between May and October where there's no rain, yet somehow... This mountain is flourishing with greenery, and it's because of the thick, sweet dew that is on top of this mountain. So that means that unity among Christians is like this dew that produces flourishing. It's the good life. It brings on a party. This unity does. And, and the, we're going to see right here that this type of unity is very, very rare. This is our second point. So Mount Zion is 200 miles away from this high-peaked Mount Hermon. Now, it says that the dew from Mount Hermon will fall upon Mount Zion. I want you to know that is absolutely impossible because they are 200 miles away. Now, let me give you a lesson in Bible reading. If you do not believe that God's Word is the infallible Word of God, you will read this and you will say, See, I told you the Bible's not true. It says things like this that are impossible. There's a mistake. Ha! Gotcha. But if you will read the Bible as if it really is the infallible Word of God, you will begin to read these verses with wonder. 
And you will begin to find that God is speaking of a miracle here. Something that is impossible to happen is happening. Unity that is impossible is beginning to take shape and take form. Because I don't know if you know this about us humans, but we seem to crave disunity. We're always looking for a fight. And and even if we don't have enemies, we will make enemies among those who are around us. It makes us feel like we have some type of purpose. So the theological tradition that I'm part of, it's like a bunch of thinkers love to do this. They love to get into a room and think about how everybody is wrong about everything and just start attacking people and starting these fights. And, and, you know, honestly, some good comes about it because you start to hone in on what is true in the Bible. But also it becomes exhausting because the fight always turns internal versus where the real fight is. And so we miss what we ought to be focusing in on. Americans were most united after 9-11. And it's like a group of humans. They fight each other until there's another group that is threatening that group, and then all of a sudden the group becomes united. Families fight with each other until there's a threat to the family. And I don't know if you know about this, but a lot of churches, especially those who've existed for a long time, they have a lot of internal infighting. Like, and, and they've got a lot of money just floating around because they've a church that's been around for a while. And so they're saying, what should we do with this money? And then some, some lady's like, we should buy some flowers. And then some guy's like, no, we need to fix the, 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 the screen out front or the sign out front. And then this fight erupts. Or the style of music, what should it be? And then a civil war ensues. And here's what else is happening. You know, we're picking the wrong battle. So, so here's what else happens. The church keeps fighting about 2% of what the Bible is about. So 98% of the Bible, all Christians agree about 98%. But 2% Christians disagree. And then the fighting starts. And then the denominations begin to form. And we have all of these denominations today because we focus in on the 2% of how we're different. It's like we're a bunch of apes trying to figure out what to call a banana and how to describe it instead of just simply enjoying the food that's before us. It's like, hey, Christians, let's talk about how we love God and how we're worshiping Him and be united there. And look, I'm not saying that the 2% is not important. It's actually incredibly important. The problem with it is, if we are disunited, if we aren't united, then we can't actually figure out the 2%. What we really do is we box ourselves into this box and keep ourselves safe from those Christian enemies. And then the other Christian enemies are like, we box ourselves in. Look at those evil people who got it all wrong, when all the while there's a much bigger fight that we should be fighting. And it's always been a problem. Cain kills Abel. Jacob steals Esau's birthright. Joseph's brothers sell him into slavery. These are all brothers. And there's a common problem between all three of these stories. Three things. Insecurity, pride, and jealousy. Insecurity, pride, and jealousy. It's common in all three of these stories. So take Cain. He's incredibly prideful and jealous of his brother Abel. So he kills him. And he's also very insecure. 
You take the story of Jacob. Jacob just wants the love of his father, and he can't seem to get it. And because he can't get the love of his father, he looks at his brother, who has the birthright, and he figures out a way to steal it from him, to take it. And then you take Joseph. Joseph is very prideful. Joseph is the most beloved of all the brothers from his father. And he's flaunting it around. And all of his other brothers, well, they're jealous about it and they're insecure. And so they sell him into slavery. Whenever you see disunity, you will find insecurity, pride, and a deep-rooted jealousy. So what do you do about all that? Well, there is an uncommon do that will fix this problem. It's the source of where unity comes from. And I'm going to tell you, I will never look at do the same way again. So the prophet Haggai, he says, the earth has withheld its produce. That's a really big deal back when, it's, back when it was written. There's no food. It's a problem. The earth has withheld its produce because the heavens have withheld its due. And then you take Isaiah. Isaiah says something like this. When the heaven's dew comes down, the dead under the earth will rise. Now look at me. What do you, what do you think that's about? Clearly it's about Christ. And to just seal the deal for you, let me tell you the story about God's people. They get freed from being underneath this evil king, Pharaoh, and they part through this sea. This miraculous event has happened, and then they're out in the wilderness. And one of the first things they begin to do is complain about the lack of food that they have in the wilderness. And they actually begin to say something wild to me. They say, wouldn't it be great if we were just under the rule of that evil king again? At least he produced some order. We're out here in this freedom, and we don't know what to do with it. If we could just be conformed again. Like, I'll take the conformity so I could know that I'm safe. I'll sacrifice the freedom so I know that at least I know what's coming next. However bad it was. And so God, to save them from this, listen to this, in Exodus 16, two verses. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they didn't know what it was. And Moses said to them, it's the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. The bread of life come down from heaven. Now, let me just show you how this is clearly pointing to Christ. Jesus, in chapter, John, uh, chapter 6 of John, He says he's the bread of life that's come down from heaven. Now, he starts off and he says, don't do the work that leads to death, but do the work that is like for the food that gives you this eternal life. And then he goes on and says, you know what the good work is? Belief in him. And then he ends like this. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of the bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give... For the life of the world is my flesh. There is a work that leads to death. And the source of that work is insecurity within you, pride within you, and jealousy within you. And you know that they're there. 
And what I'm telling you is it's leading to death and it's leading to disunity. The work that leads to life is belief in Christ. So, look how this happens. So you're insecure. You don't feel worthy of things. You've got this pride about yourself. And you're completely jealous of so many people in your life. It's like a raging jealousy within you. And then look at what Jesus does. He comes on the scene and he gives his life for you. And he says, this is how worth it you are to me. And then he rises and he's giving you life and he's putting something new in you. And then he tells you that the Father, the way he sees you, is the same way that he sees me, meaning his son. Which means the Father loves you so much. And you are worth so much to him. And when you'll finally believe that to be true, it will kill your jealousy, it will kill your insecurity, and it will destroy your pride. So do you have jealousy? Well, before I tell you that, so here's what it does. So you're, you're watching this dance happening. And, and you see all these people on the dance floor that you're prone to hate because you're prideful and insecure and, and you're jealous. And you see them out on the dance floor, but then you see Christ. And you see how good he is. So you take off to him. And look at what's happened now. Because you've seen how wonderful he is, all these problems have faded away and you just ran out there to be with him. And so, do you have jealousy that causes you to dislike people? <clears throat> if so, what you need is the dew of Christ that will cause you to run out on that dance floor. <clears throat> I need some to do. Do you feel unworthy of this dance? Out there on the dance floor is the one who will make you feel worthy and welcome you. So run out and dance with him. Do you feel pride <coughs> as you look out at all those people on the dance floor saying, I would never be like them. I would never vote like them. I can't believe them, them out there dancing. What a bunch of hypocrites. No, you see him and you say, I can't help it. I got to get out there with those people because I can't miss out on this. And when that happens, and enough people have seen him out there and seen how great he is, it produces a unity within the church that looks like this grand city on a hill within the city of the world. So this is our fourth point, a city of unity. Let me read to you this prayer from Jesus in John 17. This is just before Jesus goes to his death. He's praying for you. Here are his words in his prayer for you. That they, meaning all of you, may be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us. Why? So that the world may believe that you sent me. Okay, so the world's believing that he is real and he has come because of the unity within the church. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them as you have loved me. Unity within the church is the proof that God is not only real and alive and active in your life, but that he has opened up the heavens and come down. And he sent his son here. 
And in doing that, his son has died and risen. And the proof of it all, unity among yourselves. So many people have said to me that the Grove is a strange conglomeration of people. And that's one of the greatest compliments you could actually give to the Grove. Because if it's true, then it could very well be that the dew of Christ is what's uniting us together. The gospel brings an unlikely group of friends and unites them in Christ and makes them so filled with passion for him and joy for what he's done for them that they run out on the dance floor together. And I want you to picture what has happened that has led up to this dance. And so you've got God's people. Let's go all, so we're in week 14, so let's go all the way back to week one. The challenge was Leave your comfortable life behind, open up the door, and look beyond to the greater city, to your true home in Jerusalem, where Mount Zion is, and take the risk and take the journey. And as you go along, we follow these steps, and we've been going, and we've been meeting trials, hardships, loss, heartbreak, pain along the way. But you've gathered up some friends too. And you've, and you've kept your eyes fixed on this grand mountain in the distance where God waits for you. And you've seen even at times him come run down from the mountain to come and be with you, to give you the life and energy you need to keep going. And you've kept going. And then you got to the foot of the mountain with all your friends. And you ran up to the foot of the mountain. And you ran up the mountain and then, then you saw Christ crowned as the king. And you looked all around, and then food started to be served, and a party began, and there was dancing and singing, tons of joy, grain and wine abounding. That's meant to begin now, not later. That's a picture of the future that's inhabiting the present. And it happens when we're united as one. Let me read to you what Jesus says in his famous Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You, he's talking about you, are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So your good works, it started, we saw, it starts with belief, and then it overflows into the actions that you have. And one of the primary actions you have is to be united to each other, to God's people united as one. And as you do that, each one of you shines as a light on the city within the city, on the hill within the city. And the city looks on and watches as each one of you glow brighter and brighter. And then as you all come together as one, it shines as bright as a city on top of a hill within the earthly city. And that earthly city looks on and says, there is something special about those Christians. Despite everything that I've heard, despite everything that I've felt, I think I need to give them maybe a second chance. Because maybe there is something to their Christ. Because look how amazing they think he is. Because when you really see what Christ has done for you, 
you look out on that dance floor and you don't see differences among the people. You know why you don't see the differences? It's not that the differences aren't there. You don't see the differences because all you can do is look at the king. You're overwhelmed by him. You're looking at him with wonder and joy and awe in your heart. And so nothing can stop you now. You go running out. As scared as you are to join the dance, you go running out into the dance. And the dance begins. And you're just overwhelmed by the presence of Him. And then you start looking around at all the people you're dancing with and you're saying, "Ah, look at what our King has done. Never would I thought I would be dancing with Him, with her. But here I am. Look at what He's done. And then you go around to people who are dancing and you say, what made you drop all of these differences, these things that were so important to you before? Why did you drop them? And they'll say, well... Because he dropped down like dew to be with us. And when he did, when he went to the cross, I saw him humble himself. And when he did that, it made me lay down my pride. When he laid down his life, I laid down my pride. I laid down my insecurities too. And I laid down my jealousy. And then when I saw him there in the abyss of death and hell and rise up out of the grave, I thought if he, could, if he did this for the sake of unity, then this is something I can fight for. Join the dance. It's a dance of unity with passion and excitement about who Jesus is and what he's done for you because he really did it for you. And if you're not dancing the dance with people, it's because you don't believe it's true in that moment. And you just need to be reminded. And you know how you get reminded? You have to get out on the dance floor and be with the people who are there helping you with your steps. Reminding you who he is and what he did. And if you'll do it, it says that the city will look on with wonder and then believe. So you are the hope of the world. When you're dancing in unity together. Let's pray. Father, give us you the uncommon dew that brings flourishing and life and wonder and joy and excitement. Stir us with so much joy that even though we're fighting it, our feet underneath us can't but help but move. And as we dance with our new friends and our old, God, I pray that the world would look on and know you really are who you say you are, despite the doubts. God, help us. Help us dance well. And help us dance for you and with you. God, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.